Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I'm Michael Kingswood and I write science fiction and fantasy. I used to be in the Navy, spent 20 years doing submarine operations, among other cool things. Learned to fly planes, learned to scuba dive, had a bunch of kids, saw the world, and I started writing fiction. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing my stories with you in the hope that you'll have fun, and also that you'll like my stuff and come back for more and maybe help brother out with buying a book or two. So uh, sit back, relax, I'm going to tell you a story. Hey friends, I'm Michael Kingswood. It's story time. Let's get to it. First thing to talk about today is week seven of The Great Challenge. Seventh week of the uh, short story week challenge. And once again... Success. Uh, this one wrote this week was a little bit shorter than the others. I think it came into like 3,200 words. The others have all been more than 4K. One was really long, like 14K uh, for the week. But uh, this one was kind of fun about a dog and a mystery. Um, so that's good. Going strong. We'll continue to go strong as we proceed forward here. Um, what else has been going on? That's the only real other major unusual bit of thing. Um, let's see. Yeah, I was in Philly last week again. <laughs> I'll be in Philly again in a few weeks just because that's how business works out. Um, and uh, looking at the schedule, I may actually be going to a writing convention up in Salt Lake City here, third week of June, I think called FireCon. I uh, never, last time I've been to an actual convention, was like the Star Trek convention in Boston in my sophomore year of college, like 94, 95 in there. <laughs> and that was just a one day thing. I am not a convention goer. But everybody says, oh, if you're going to write, you should go to conventions and meet people and network. And I've been, okay, I've been going to some workshops here and there and meet people and networking from that. But I was like, got to thinking, I was like, ah, never been to Salt Lake. Might be cool to go to Salt Lake. Ah, sure, I'll think about going that. Only thing is uh, just figuring out the schedule because kids are getting off school and when they're not in school anymore, suddenly you got to figure out uh, what are you doing with them during the day, especially if you're out of town. So yeah, a little bit to figure out there. Uh, see if I'll be able to go to this thing or not. But I've been thinking about it. I booked hotels before the uh, the group price went away, just in case. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Anyway. Um, so that could be fun. Let you know if I go to that and what came out of it, if I do. Um, but that's not what you're listening for. You're listening here because, uh, well, yeah, it is because you like me, but also because you like the stories and you want to hear more of the Pericles conspiracy. Because the last time we left Joe, she was in jail. And more than jail, she just got railroaded through the courts and got told she was <laughs> he had a guilty plea even though that happened without her consent, and it can't be retracted. And, oh, by the way, if she ever wants to see the light of day again, uh, she better start helping with the investigation. Um, and that's where we left her, with her attorney telling him that, telling her that. Um, so, clearly, Joe doesn't have a lot of choice in the matter here. Uh, but let's go and see what happens next, shall we? Talk to you on the flip side. The Pericles Conspiracy. Written by me, read by me, sorry for inflicting that on your eardrums. 
Chapter 17. To be a mole. I don't see how I can be of any further help. They were back at the original interrogation room. Jerome sat at Joe's right this time. Agents Moore and Calderon sat opposite them. Agent Moore raised an eyebrow in response to Joe's statement. Ngubwe is among those who escaped. You and he are friends, she said the last with a smirk and a tone of distaste. Joe snorted. We stopped being friends a year and a half ago. Agent Moore waved her hand in a dismissive sort of way. From your perspective, perhaps, but he still trusts you. I doubt he does any more. You may be surprised. There are any number of ways we could have discovered the cell's hideout. He is likely counting his blessings that he was not there when we executed the raid. I expect he may try to contact you again. Joe shook her head. He's not that stupid. He has to know that I've been in custody for the last several days. Jerome cleared his throat softly and gave Joe an apologetic look. Actually, you've been on the Gagarin station, overseeing the deployments of a new array of navigation satellites. McAllister made a press release to that fact the day after your arrest. He smiled slightly. Damage control. You understand. Joe's initial surprise gave way quickly to understanding. She had supervised a few spin sessions designed to mitigate potentially damaging events in the past. It just made sense. If McAllister could get out ahead of the news cycle, they stood a better chance of controlling the narrative and limiting any negative impact bad news would have on the stock price, of course. All the same, the Mendeleev cluster deployment was routine in nature. It had been scheduled for months and had been proceeding on schedule and on budget. Her supervision had consisted solely of receiving periodic status reports from the Mendeleev team. With everything proceeding smoothly, there was no need to insert herself, and there were other things that required her attention. Idly, Joe wondered how McAllister planned to handle the crew on Gagarin Station. They had to know she never came aboard, and the Mendeleev team certainly would know she was not personally overseeing their deployment. Of course, they were all operating under non-disclosure agreements. It was a standard part of the employment contract, but still, people talk, and the presence of a specific person at the launch would likely not fall under the NDAs. Joe suspected their year-end bonuses would be quite a bit higher than normal. Uh, that was neither here nor there. So, what's the plan? Agent Moore replied, now you go back to work. You'll go about your normal duties and behave as though none of this ever happened. You will submit a detailed report on your activities to myself or Agent Calderon each day. Sooner or later, Ngubwe will contact you again. When he does, you will agree to meet him and inform us, and we'll handle the rest. That's it? Agent Moore smirked, not entirely. Obviously, we cannot let you wander around unsupervised. You are, after all, a convict. Outrage welled up within Joe. She was no such thing. But then she caught herself with a guilty plea on her record. She was indeed a convict now. Son of a bitch. The two agents exchanged glances and Calderon stood. His broad hands sneaked inside his jacket, and for a heartbeat, Joe thought he was going to pull out a weapon. When instead he produced a small syringe, she let out her breath in a sigh. Then he began to walk around the table toward her, and tension rose within her again. She pushed back from the table, her chair scraping softly across the floor, and said, What do you think you're doing? Josephine began Jerome, but Agent Calderon spoke over him. This is a monitoring device. It will let us know your location at all times and keep us apprised of your vital functions so we can render assistance if you are accosted. Joe felt her skin crawl as she looked at the syringe with revulsion. She had refused to get a database implant not just because she did not trust it would be of any use by the time she returned for next run to Gliza, but because she felt strongly the need to keep at least part of herself private. The implants potentially opened everything to prying eyes. And now the NSA wanted to put a bug inside her? 
Hell no, she spat, looking from Calderon to Moore and then to Jerome, fiercely. Then we have no deal, Agent Moore said flatly. You can go back to the criminal justice system and take your chances at the sentencing hearing. She leaned forward, her dark eyes flashing in the light from the lamps in the ceiling. But the prosecutor will recommend the strictest punishment. Joe swallowed hard. She had no doubt the prosecutor would get whatever she asked for, and the strictest punishment meant that Joe would likely never again see the outside of a prison unit. They had her over a barrel, and there was nothing she could do about it. You'll take it out once this is done? Agent Moore nodded. Before you launch on your next Starliner run. Joe blinked. Pericles won't be ready for another 22 months, maybe 23. Then there are space trials and workups before she can be outfitted for another commercial run. That's a very long time to... We can no longer trust your judgment in this matter, Captain. The directive came down from the highest level. You will not be released without monitoring. So... Agent Moore clasped her hands on the tabletop and fixed Joe with an unblinking gaze. What will it be? It's good to have you back, Joe, Harold said. She sat in his office, in one of the chairs surrounding his coffee table. His apparently genuine smile and pleased tone should have been complimentary, but for some reason Joe found them disconcerting. Maybe it was just the stress that'll pass several weeks and the discomfort of her new implant. She found herself rubbing at the muscle of her shoulder where they injected it every now and then, almost like a nervous tick. But Harold's greeting rang hollow to her. Joe shrugged and managed a weak smile in response, but said nothing. Harold's smile slipped slightly. Silence reigned for a few moments, then he cleared his throat, softly. I'm glad to see Jerome was able to work everything out. He's a miracle worker sometimes, that one. Yes, he was very helpful. Is there anything I need to know before I get back to my duties? Harold's smile broadened again, and he shrugged slightly. Wushin covered things pretty well. There were no big crises, except for the Mendeleev deployment, but you know all about that, right? He winked conspiratorially at her. Joe rolled her eyes. The deployment was successful, yes? Harold nodded. Well, that's something, at least. I guess I'll go get caught up, then. She moved to stand, but Harold stopped her with a light hand on her knee. There is one thing we need to discuss, Joe. Oh? Chandini told me you're going to be working with the agency as part of your deal. He paused for a moment, then took a deep breath. I don't know exactly what you're into, but be careful. She's not happy with you at all, and that can be... dangerous. Joe cocked her head to the side and spurked. Harry, if I didn't know any better, I'd say you were worried about me. Harold snorted. I am worried. He stood and walked over to the window. He had a great view of downtown Quito, the mountains to the east and north from his office. For a long moment, he just looked out there. Finally, he seemed to come to a decision about something. He inhaled and nodded, then turned back to Joe. Get whatever business you have with them done as soon as you can. Then I'm putting you on the next Starliner out of here. Joe stiffened, almost feeling as though she'd been slapped. But Pericles... Harold scowled. You don't have time to wait for Pericles, Joe. Agrippa departs for Talos, two months from Thursday. I'm transferring you to her, assuming you're done with whatever the NSA needs you to do by then. Captain Dorsey will take your place on Pericles. She grinned. Joe stood and stalked over toward Harold. You just can't swap captains of two different crews, she said. The crews have their own ways of doing business, their own cultures. It takes I can and I am. No argument, Joe. Joe just stared at him for a moment. Harold had been planetside for years, but he had flown in Starliners for the first several decades of his career, even commanded a Starliner and a colonial field office. He knew the upheaval he was about to set off. It was hard enough when captains changed out in the normal rotation, but at least in that case there was time to prepare for it. Doing it this suddenly, the two crews in question would take months, if not years, to get back to their current levels of performance. She shook her head. I appreciate your concern, Harry. I really do. But I think you're overreacting. 
Harold shook his head. You've not lived here very long, Joe. I've seen what can happen to people the NSA finds inconvenient or dangerous. Trust me, you want to get off this rock as soon as you can. I'm half tempted to put you on the Kennedy into blazes with what Chandini wants. Joe blinked. Kennedy was set to depart at the end of the week. Harold was worried. Christ. Part of her wanted to take Harold up on the offer to just blast away from Earth and all the trouble that had reared up around her. But she had no doubt that would get Harold into a lot of trouble. Possibly her other friends here as well. And beyond that, there was still the matter of the eggs. She could not just flee without knowing how that situation had been resolved. She shook her head. No, Harry, I have to take care of this first. He nodded. Yes, you do. But then it's Agrippa in two months. Got it? Joe sighed and nodded acquiescence. Harold looked relieved. Chapter 18 Out of the Frying Pan We will handle the rest. Agent Moore's words echoed in Joe's mind as she walked into the Parque de Panecillo again. Without realizing what she was doing, she found herself touching the seam of her jacket where the NSA agents had implanted the listening bug. As it registered, she jerked her hand away. It almost felt dirty touching it. It took most of a week, but Agent Moore was correct. Malcolm made contact. Joe had spent a hard week in the office getting the Kennedy ready for departure. By the time she got home after spending most of the last night in McAllister's traffic control center watching the Starliner depart and secretly wishing she was aboard, Joe was completely drained, both physically and mentally. So she was completely unprepared to walk into her condo and find a message waiting in her television queue. At first, she thought it would be Wu Xian or Harold, but when she tapped the control pad to start the message, the screen showed a dark figure sitting before a darker background. She could not make out the figure's features, but his overall build and the way he carried himself resembled Malcolm. The voice, garbled from electronic distortion, was no help in identifying the person either. It simply asked her to meet in the parquet at 22.30 the next night. She had spent a restless night tossing and turning in her bed, only to wake an hour earlier than normal, feeling as though she had not slept at all. Looking at herself in the mirror as she brushed her teeth put the lie to that feeling, as the shadows beneath her eyes were much improved from the day before. She still felt like hell, though. And no wonder with everything that had happened. She had been distracted most of the day, only paying cursory attention to the weekly briefing from her department heads. Her thoughts kept wandering to what she had learned in Malcolm and Becky's command center, and to what she had gone through since. Agent Moore had again assured her, during their preparations this afternoon, that she was doing the right thing. But Joe was not so sure. What was the right thing to do? Her heart told her that betraying Malcolm and his compatriots was wrong, that they were on the right side in this matter, and yet... Images sprang into her mind, memories she had not recalled earlier from her encounter with the aliens aboard Pericles. Twin burns as though made by plasma torches hundreds of times stronger than any torch in any of the shipyards she'd seen, running perfectly parallel across the port side of the alien's ship. Gases venting to space through those two burns where the hull had been breached. She and her crew had speculated at length on what could have caused those burns. The only thing they had come up with was a weapon of some sort. If the aliens had been engaged in a battle before she met them, there was a lot more to their situation than met the eye. Given that, was it not prudent for the government to do everything it could to learn as much about the aliens as it could? The Coalition's first responsibility was the security of its citizens, after all. But that did not justify slaughtering the aliens' children. Did it? 
Further self-debate stopped as she rounded a corner and emerged into a clearing below the Virhen. Malcolm sat, apparently calm and collected, on a bench a short distance away. His clothing was rumpled, as if he had slept in it, and he looked tired. Joe stopped, almost turning to leave before he noticed her, but Agent Moore's stern warning from earlier in the day about what would happen if she did not come through sprang to mind, and she hesitated. The brief hesitation sealed the deal. Malcolm turned his head and spotted her. The quick flash of a smile graced his face as he stood. By the time he walked over to her, though, his expression was all business. Hello, Joe. Joe managed a smile of greeting. Malcolm? He looked at her closely, his head cocking to the side as though he could sense something was wrong. Are you... Malcolm in Goobway! Agent Calderon's voice barked through the evening air, bringing Malcolm up short. Calderon stepped into the open from the trees to Joe's right. At the same time, another agent, Joe never got his name, emerged from the left. Malcolm's eyes widened as he looked at Joe, a shocked, stricken look on his face. She felt a wrenching in her gut, almost a physical pain at the hurt her betrayal had caused him. I'm sorry, she whispered as she backed away and the two agents advanced toward him. Malcolm turned and ran, but he only went a few paces before he was brought up short by Agent Moore and a fourth as they sprang from concealed positions on the other side of the clearing. They leveled plasma pistols at Malcolm and he froze, raising his hands above his head. On the ground! Now! ordered Agent Moore in a clipped, businesslike tone. Malcolm obliged, slowly going to his knees and then onto his belly. Agent Moore and her backup advanced toward him quickly, the man pulling a pair of handcuffs from the pouch on the back of his belt. Agent Calderon remained in position as they moved, covering them over the sights of his pistol. We've got it from here, Captain. De Stefano, take her back to the truck. De Stefano, the man who had arrived at Joe's left, nodded in response to Agent Calderon's command and holstered his sidearm. Then he stepped to Joe's side and placed a gentle hand on her arm that nevertheless directed her away with forceful intensity. This way, Captain. Joe complied with De Stefano's direction and walked away. She looked back over her shoulder once and saw Malcolm on his knees with his hands cuffed behind his back. In spite of his situation, he did not look defeated. Then she lost sight of him as they turned the corner. Had she done the right thing? She was not so sure, and the thought that she had no choice was small comfort. How long do cases like this take to go to trial, she asked. De Stefano sniffed. What? How long until the trial? He snorted, but did not answer. Joe stopped, a sudden chill going up her spine. That snort had been far too dismissive. They couldn't intend to. Unbidden, Reynolds's face appeared in her mind, and Joe found that she could not tell herself that they wouldn't just get Malcolm out of the way into blazes with the trial. It took to Stefano two steps to realize she was no longer beside him. Turning with a scowl, he said, Come on, let's go. What are they going to do with Malcolm? Stefano looked at her like she was an idiot. He's out of the picture now. You need to worry about what happens with you. He stepped over to her, and she found herself craning her neck to meet his eyes. He was very tall. Don't do anything else stupid, and you'll come out of this smelling like roses. But a sharp sound came through the trees from the clearing, and Joe's heart skipped a beat. That was a plasma pistol. Malcolm! Joe turned back to the clearing, needing to see. She heard Stefano moving a heartbeat before she felt his hand slide beneath her upper arms and over her shoulders and up toward the back of her neck. She reacted instinctively, straightening her arms, dropping to her back on the ground in front of Stefano and kicking upward before he could close the full Nelson lock he was trying to put on her. Clearly not expecting resistance, he froze in surprise as she slid away from his grasp and doubled over as the toe of her boot struck him just above his navel. Stefano stumbled away and Joe sprang to her feet. 
Perhaps she should have run, but she remained frozen in place, surprised. She had not practiced very much over the last several years, but clearly she had not lost all of the skills her father had taught her so very long ago. The slight pleasure she felt at that discovery was quickly eclipsed as she realized what had just happened. She had assaulted an NSA agent. Then she lost the opportunity to think. De Stefano righted himself and turned toward her. His hand snaked into his jacket where he wore his plasma pistol and a shoulder holster, and he spat, Bitch! Joe's eyes widened as his hand came back out, weapon held in a tight grip. He had a murderous look in his eyes. Only a couple meters stood between them. Moving with a desperate speed, Joe sprang toward him as he leveled the gun. Her hand struck his the instant he pulled the trigger. The pistol barked definitely loud at such a close range, but the superheated ball of gas that launched from its muzzle passed harmlessly to the side. Joe grabbed onto De Stefano's gun hand and forced it down into the side. The pistol barked a second time as he reflexively fired again. His face was a mask of fury as he pulled back forcefully against Joe's grip. She felt his hand slipping and knew he would be free in a heartbeat. Once that happened, Joe twisted her body using her weight to pull against De Stefano's arm, straightening it. Then she struck upward with the palm of her left hand. It struck the back of his elbow before he could adjust to her changing tactic. The sharp snap of breaking bone and De Stefano's sudden howl of pain ended the fight. His hand spasmed and the pistol fell onto the ground at Joe's feet. Shifting her weight again, she kicked his feet out from under him and he landed on his back with a hoof of air, leaving his lungs. She picked up the weapon and turned toward the fallen agent. His eyes, so hostile and superior a heartbeat before, were wide with surprise, pain, and sudden terror. He raised his good hand in a pleading gesture. Don't, he coughed, slowly regaining his breath. Don't shoot. Joe stood frozen in shock over what had happened. Her gaze went from De Stefano to the hand which held his weapon. It was trembling visibly. What in the hell was she doing? He saw her sudden uncertainty and seemed to regain some confidence. Drawing a deep breath, he said, Don't do anything you can't pull back from. His words were quick, his tone anxious, but also practiced, professional. We had a misunderstanding, is all. Put the gun down, and we can still work this out. Yeah, right, I'm not a total idiot. Although a not-so-soft voice in the back of Joe's head screamed at her that she was indeed an idiot, a complete and utter fool. From the clearing behind her came shouts and the sound of another plasma pistol discharging. What was going on? Joe peeked over her shoulder, but saw only trees. A shuffling from De Stefano drew her eyes back to him. He had snaked his good hand down toward his ankle. Seeing her eyes on him, he froze. What's that, a backup? He nodded slowly, watching her with wary eyes. Take it out and throw it to me, slowly. De Stefano scowled, but did as she ordered. The weapon landed on the ground at her feet, and Joe slowly bent her knees. Taking her left hand from the grip of her pistol, she snatched it up and then quickly straightened. Then she tucked the back up behind her belt in the small of her back. Do not move from this spot, Agent De Stefano, she warned, and she backed away, slowly at first, then more quickly. Don't be a fool, Captain. He's done, but you don't have to be. Joe put a tree between herself and De Stefano, then turned and ran back toward the clearing. Well, okay, that was a bit of a turnaround. Um, one minute we're in jail, next minute we're beating the cops down and taking their guns. Right, so... <laughs> Alright, there we go. I guess it's on now. We'll see how Joe plays this one, and uh, hopefully they didn't kill Malcolm already. I guess we'll find out next episode. Or just in the next chapter, if you want to pick up the book and read it before I get to it. Which, of course, is 
always nice and always recommended since that's how I get money. Uh, yeah, so you know where to, where to find the book is go to my website, michaelkingswood.com, and click on the little bookstore link, and you can get there. Or go to ssstorytelling.com, which is the publishing business website and has the same five functions. And, of course, you can go to all the Amazons and the Apples and all that stuff if you really want to give me less money and give them more. But uh, that's up to you. Go buy it. Read it. So you can tell all your friends that you are sharing this podcast with and telling them to listen to, right? And you can tell all them that, ha, I know what's happening before you do. Or something like that. <laughs> anyway, I hope you liked these couple chapters. As you can tell, I'm recording this a day or two after the, the uh, intro just because of stuff, getting busy. But hey, it is now Thursday, and Thursday seems to be the de facto day of the week for releasing the podcast these days so eh, at least we're still somewhat on schedule uh one other thing to tell you about is i am finding that i'm really liking giving free books away in exchange for email addresses so i'm picked up uh participated in another promotion through book funnel uh, it's called the gritty sci-fi and fantasy reads it's all supposed to be stuff that's more hardcore in a way so i submitted my uh, my novella, What Lurks Between, uh, which I'll put a link to so you can read the description of. Um, or heck, I'll just give you the link to the, the giveaway so you can read the description there. Uh, but it's a little bit darker, and uh, so it fits with the gritty theme of the giveaway. And there's like 70 other authors who put books up there for free, and all you have to do is sign up for newsletters, uh, which is not a small cost i know but it's not monetary so at least there's that so go check it out and if you want to get a free book or six and uh read and enjoy and go from there and the link will the to the promo giveaway will be in the show notes as well as in the final frame if you're watching the video um yeah and that's all that's going on uh except that i'm getting around to start releasing new stuff again uh at least once a month, I'm going to start putting out uh, new short stories now that I'm back to writing uh, short stories and then novels and, not, and longer things as they're available. Um, and I'll tell you about the, the latest one here on a separate cast because this one's already starting to get long. But uh, yeah, a lot of good stuff coming down the pike. Hope you stick around for it. Uh, please like, subscribe, share, drop me a line, tell me what you think about everything we're doing, and uh, go become a website member uh to help out with uh, a couple bucks a month keep things going in even higher quality than they are now yeah anyway uh that's all i got talk to you next week or at the next one when i tell about the new story until then don't do anything i wouldn't do thanks for listening to story time with michael kingswood you can find me online at michaelkingswood.com i'm also on facebook and twitter my web store is ssnstorytelling.com where you can find all my books in your favorite formats. Purchasing through the web store nets me the most profit, but if you prefer, I'm also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and all the other usual e-tailers. If you want to learn about new releases, sign up for my mailing list through the contact form at my website. I guarantee not to spam you, only send an email when I have some news to share. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyright of Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music, copyright Gene Paul Zoggy, licensed through stockmusic.net, all rights reserved. <laughs>